Hello and welcome. I'm Jules B., your host of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. Go with me behind the scenes as I dive into the lives of our guests. Each episode will feature unconventional questions that invoke joy, sorrow, and sometimes silence. Come on in, take a seat, and let's start this conversation. All right, Honest here. Welcome again. It is a pleasure to talk to you today. Mm-hmm. It's a label-free podcast production. So let me just get to the good part. Good. So I know that you are a psychologist. You're a best-selling author. You are a behavioral researcher. Mm-hmm. Okay? You have a groundbreaking approach. Mm-hmm. And so your new release bestseller is You Are Not Depressed, You Are Unfinished. Yep. And so you introduced us to the Bill of Emotional Rights, which mm-hmm. is a manifesto for lifelong motivation and fulfillment because mm-hmm. it explores untapped territory of unfulfilled emotions and, of course, unfinished life paths, yep. which can be transformative as far as conquering depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. So you have some really great insights, mm-hmm. have attracted executives, high achievers, entrepreneurs and things alike. So I know you got your doctorate and your master's degree from Columbia University. So you have a lot that you do bring to the table. Mm -hmm. So you want to have uh, thought-provoking conversations that are going to lead to more fulfilled lives and help people find some of the answers they've been looking for. So that's what I got from the information that was sent to me. What would you like to add to that? I mean, the main point that I want to share with people is that suffering, depression, anxiety, PTSD, ADHD, these are all consequences, not causes. Right after our call today, there are three individuals that they have reached out to me, two in the U.S., one in Europe, that these are senior people, senior professionals, and they reached out to me and said, I've been to doctors, psychologists, taking medication, and I'm doing better well. I'm a mother, I'm a father, and I'm just tired of being labeled and going through life with my struggles. And they said, your message is a message of hope. Instead of saying you need more treatment, more medication, you need to fix things, it's about saying that you actually delight your living right now is past is expiration date. And you know it. You know it. The pain you have is from you to you, from your own soul, SOS, saying, wake up. Wake up. Yeah. Once you know you're suffering, in fact, if you go online, you LinkedIn, I just put in post today. Suffering is a message, an expression. You don't Try to numb it and feed it or drink it. You listen to suffering and use it for growth. Mm-hmm. That's my story. I'm a psychologist and it came from this family of mom and dad, depressed, brothers, sisters, and suicide in my family. And I, and I thought I will die depressed like my mom and dad. And we people are so wonderful in accepting heaviness and burdening as life cursing. Mom and dad are like this, that's how I'm going to die. 
And when I heard, the way it hurts so much, I'm very supportive. said, Dottie didn't create me like this. Lord doesn't want to suffer. So I started myself asking, how do I treat my depression? I asked the day that I was contemplating suicide, 2012 August. I asked a different question. What is depression? What is anxiety? What is ADHD, obsessive compulsive? Then I realized we psychologists, we well, among them, we've created a house of cards. And we're trying to fix things versus going to think that is this person living the life they are meant to have? Are they being authentic, fully in their power? Depression, anxiety, all of that thing that you are not in your power. The life you live is not your life. And you know it. And you know it. That's why you're depressed. So, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interject. No, you know, it's it's funny. I, I and not funny. How high, but I talked to a psychologist a while back, and they were saying to me that none of what they do is really real. That's why people continue to have to go to psychologists. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. not yeah. something that someone's actually going to find the answer to. He said, "All I'm doing is writing down what they say." Yeah, yeah. Or so, the, yeah. You have finish your No, no, no. That's okay. And that, I'm just, you know, writing down what it is that they say. Yeah. I don't have a cure for them because I'm just there to listen to their feelings and different things like that. And so he said, "There is nothing medical about what I do." That's why a lot of people continue to go and a lot of people are going and they will never find the answers that they're looking for and I found that quite interesting but here's the question that I did want to ask you so given given your culture yeah for you to tell me that your parents are suicidal your brother sister you know that sounds very strange to me yeah. Given your particular culture, mm-hmm. I, and and maybe this sounds crazy for me to ask, how is that so? When, from what I understand, your culture is so tight knit. Correct, correct. And then, so when you're tight knit, you know, like the fish doesn't know it's swimming in water. Mm-hmm. You think everybody's like that. So the way the testimony for me happened, I from Iranian, and I came to the United States. I was a good student. I in my PhD, I triple major, I have four master, I double major undergraduate, I have so many certifications. I wasn't after degrees. I was obsessed with trying to figure things out. Why people behave the way they are. It was a burning desire and I truly believed this. I truly believed this. And I don't share this with many people. I was born in this in this life to solve this. The, and my wife knows this, that in my tone, the following word will be written. He helped discover the cure for depression and ease the suffering of millions. Uh-huh. I learned this through struggle in life. And I had to, went to school to learn that, but I had to learn firsthand. So to this day, when people reach out to me, within person and no, and there's a funny gesture they have, they point their fingers to me and say that you get me. 
You get me. So I'm what what the psychologists you refer to what I share with people goes through the emotion blue of light. And this goes to the day that I went in my clinical training at Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital in New York City. I was in my twenties, didn't know much about life. I wasn't married yet. Okay. I learned that many people tell their stories of pain, anguish, or the paranoia they have. If you listen to painting the struggle, you get one result. But if you listen to the story they tell, there's a story of their seeking something. A, a girl was abused, a boy that was in foster home, a love that never came, a person who never saw them. They're yearning. They're yearning for something. One of my first patients at Bellevue, it was an amazingly handsome young that looked like me. He came to me that day he went to the Empire building to leave to his death. And uh, he rushed back and he came and I was decided to work with him. He saw me, he said, doctor, doctor, can you help me get, to get to him? He'll walk you to Holly Davidson um, manufacturing plant. And I asked him about it. He wanted to find place in life that she could be a mechanic to find himself. And I asked, so tell me about your experience in mechanic. You know nothing about, you don't have training in the, the mechanics, you know, for um, never been on a motorcycle, never owned a motorcycle, didn't know how to ride a motorcycle, but he was looking for the salvation for going home. Mm. People who are sick, who are the, the, the beloved right, they are making something. I Nobody in Western world has taught us what are those something look like. So in our field of psychiatry and psychology, we have a vast body of knowledge about pathology, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsion. Very bad. We don't have a coherent understanding. What do people want in life? Yeah. From from the time you're born, the time to our last breath, what are we seeking? Yeah. So for 30 years, I listened to people. Instead of hating people, if we listen to people, we don't need any test. We don't need any fancy. Um, question. People tell you everything if you listen and oriented a storyteller. So that's people true. told me a story of going home, the love broken, the respect that never came. One of the things in my office, you don't see it right now, is by Maya Angelo. And it, the saying goes that there is no greater agony than burying an untold story inside you. Yeah, but everybody has a story. Yeah. For 30 years, I've been listening to people and modeling, researching what are people speaking. That became the bill of life. That built seven and then consistent, repeatable across time, across history, across people. Things were seeking in life, both from death and as it starts from birth to death. Once you know that, you can't raise a family like that and work in school, in communities, in church, in synagogue. Once you do that, you can have better relationships. And I've been able through that to help have a different conversation with my brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And way to heal the needs we didn't have growing up in my family. Yeah. So, so that's my that's my give back to life that 
once you know your emotional right, it's all your right. Parents don't give it to you. The mayor, the teachers don't want you. You are entitled to them. They are your civic rights. So every time I go to Washington, D.C., several times a year, I go to Lincoln Memorial, that means war is bad. And I see then that we talked about the dignity of people, the sense of right and the, the righteousness. So the emotional right, the sense of righteousness of human. That mental illness is in the law. You can't fix that. You need to awaken the people and mental illness will go away. Um, that's interesting because we start out young and our parents tell us what to do. Yeah. And then we become, you know, of course, adults. And we're supposed to know what to do after being told what to do. Yeah. And yeah. then we work our job and then we'll retire. we retire because somebody tells us we need to. Yeah, yeah. And then we just, you know, we just live out the rest of our lives. And yeah, that's what it is. But in fact, as I start to work with my clients, but people are reaching out to me literally across the world. And they're asking me, can you work with my parents? What are my clients? Seventy year old grandmother. She read my book and reached out to me and said that, uh, people tell me that go in a nursing home and more or less wait to die. I said that, no, yeah. I read your book and realized there's been more life in me. And yeah. I want to go claim it. I didn't have it, you know, growing up as a girl with family, with kids, with grandchildren. I realized that there are more stories in me, and I don't want to die like this. So yeah. people who come to me, and they say initially they come for pain, but they think that I want to find a person that is off track. I want to find that first thing. And the men and women, and so people call me and say, can you work with my spouse? Can you work with my teenagers? And to me, I'm here on this earth to change the world one heart at a time. One heart at a time. Yeah. So what makes you feel unstoppable right now? And when I say that, I'm speaking in a figurative sense because it's not that any of us are, aren't stoppable. I'm just saying, but right now at this point in your life what makes you feel like you're on top of the world i don't think i'm on top of the world and i'm not seeing myself like that i'm here to serve i'm sure. here to serve and then i literally left my um, corporate world 18 months ago i was an executive making good money all of that and this work following me and i'm doing this work with black book coming up and i'm just starting and what I'm doing, like speaking with you, with others, and then through social media, tell my message to the world. You know that saying, you do the work, the universe do its work. Sure. That for me, do the work, tell the message, and, and then and I don't worry about being unstoppable or stoppable, just be honest, do what others are supposed to do. We bring this message to the world, to give this message to the world. And at a certain point, the message will no longer be mine. People will learn it, apply it, and then carry on. That's my goal. The model that I have in mind uh -huh. is, the, is the model of Mother Teresa. Be there to serve, and at a certain point, the healing will start to spread like, you know, yeah, like a blood fire. However, let me say this to you, though, Artist here. 
you know, people talk about Mother Teresa, but we didn't know everything about Mother Teresa. Yeah, yeah, because that was like different. And so, I, I, her, her public face, you know, from what I understand, was different than behind the scenes. And she became Mother Teresa in a very unsuspecting way. So. I, you know, I would rather look at somebody that's closer to me than Mother Teresa. That's just me. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to come from me because I'm not trying to defame Mother Teresa. It's just that after she passed away, there was a lot that if you read about Mother Teresa that we didn't know. Yeah, so, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I don't want to be like Mother Teresa. I, I, I'd rather be the example through and through, not the example just yeah, public. Yeah, yeah. But to, go ahead. To, to this, to this, Mother Teresa, I see she went where the suffering was. So I go where the need, where the suffering is. And in my private part, people know me. I'm a very quiet, recluse, and introverted guy. So being on the talk show or podcast, all of that is not natural for me. Mm, okay. So... If, you, if I was on my own, I would be a farmer in the nature, on my few books with my golden retriever and just be <laughs> the nature. So I'm here going in podcast. I did uh, take a lot out of me because it's not me. But my thinking is that, dude, this is not about you. You have a responsibility to do the work because you're. The experience, the, the suffering, what I went through, I was supposed to learn and not teach what I'm learned. It's not about you. Do the work and get over yourself. That's how I see things. So how long did it take you to mend your relationship with your sibling? It was always there. It was great. You know, like when you come from the children of trauma, so this is my specialty. You see each other, but you are, when you see each other, there's the element of pain, sorrow, that you don't talk about it. So I knew my brother is hurt, and he was humiliated. He was hurt. He was rejected, my sister. So what I did, I reach out to them, and I tell them, I remember you being hurt. I remember you at that point. I mean, these are all grown up men and women. Realize they all carry sorrows with them. So what I do, I just talk about what didn't get talked about at that time. And I also bring out that how we, our mom and dad were built. So next year, I'll just start my second book, which, okay. is about, which is about generational trauma, about how, and the title of that is Break It. That's uh -huh. how the work we do in our own community, it sets the dynamics of the family and it, and put the spirit of mom and dad as teens. Now they both have passed away. So what I do, I just talk about what it didn't get to be talked about with my own brothers and sisters. So when your mom and dad passed away, given the trauma that you have been through with your parents, did you experience any type of relief? You know, you know, you know, and when they passed away, 
I felt bad, but that in fact, in my book, I hope you get to read it. There are, the story of my parents, especially my mom, is there. You hear it throughout. So I felt that they left their life with a lot of burden. And that, that ain't. To me, when I take my last breath, I want to be able to, to take my last breath. I feel that I did what I could in yeah. that world. I felt yeah. they left this earth uh, with unfinished business, and they did the best they could. And they didn't ha- they didn't have the money. I mean, we, did, we grew up in a struggling family. Well, they could, and they would fix that was really crazy, we had a bunch of kids. They did the best they could, but they didn't live a fulfilling life. So I'm doing this work to live a life of fulfillment, emotional liberation, and testament to my parents that I want you to be active because finally I figured that you taught me change. And your suffering taught me something you gotta bring to other people now to live happier, more fulfilling life. Well, I ask that question because I've talked to people in the past that have gone through trauma mm-hmm. as a child, whether it was inflicted on their parents or whether, you know, and then unfortunately passed along to them yeah. or whether their parents inflicted it on them. And there's a release that they've spoken to me about that happened when their their parents or parents passed away. Not that they wanted their parents to die, but it was like, oh, wow, they're not here anymore. I, I don't hear yeah. their voice anymore. Yeah. And so it's like that they were able to put some of the trauma to rest, not all of it, but the pieces started to break away. Yeah. So they could like, live. So this is interesting because um, that's not how trauma works. The parents have gone, they may, they are, the tormentor is not there anymore. But the what I've learned through my work and research, the trauma is not what happened back there, it's what body remembers. So trauma gets stored in our body at the cellular level. So, so in fact, some of the work I do, there are people who their parents passed away decades ago. But once you do the work, the memory, the energy, the charges come off. So people who said that, basically they see the distance of the tormentor is is been created, but the trauma to heal it is a different process. You need to read that. You read the energy, and that's the work I do. How do you yeah. let your body? So the ghosts of the past are no longer. If you could relive one day in your life, Artisan, yeah, you couldn't change it. You could only experience it again. What day would that be for you, and why? Short answer. The day my son was born, okay. he's a twenty-year-old boy, and I saw him was born. When you're in trauma, of what they did, exactly twenty-one years ago, you see the world, but it's seeing you're seeing it through a looking glass. I was there, and I was the dinner. I was just like my dad, you know. I was been, I, I wasn't fully present. I saw my son in the dirt as a bird, and oh my gosh, I'm a father, and what do I do? That's probably that's how my dad felt. Mm-hmm. But so, I, so, so having done my work, my son is very impressive, and I'm home right now from school. 
I'm recreating that life all over again and clever with him now. But I would have loved to see that boy and that little boy that he came from but my wife Tommy <laughs> and, and just I would have held him differently, kissed him and dear touched him differently. Okay. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Thank Please. you. I Thank have enjoyed so the conversation. Thank you. You're welcome. Give me 24 to 48 hours. You got Back to you. And keep in mind that we're not as divided as we are disconnected. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Jules. Have a wonderful day. You do the same. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Behind the Labels, a label-free podcast premium production. We hope this conversation has reminded you of the power of your voice and the importance of taking the best steps to live a more fulfilled life. Make sure you like, follow, comment, and share. And for more content, check out the Label Free Podcast with our fabulous host, Deanna. And remember, we all have choices. We all have goals. We all make mistakes. But it doesn't have to be behind a label.